Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. One quick announcement before we start the show. Unchained now has a merchandise shop. We've got a few t-shirts, a couple hats, a mug, some stickers, and I don't remember if there was anything else. Um, anyway, my team and I got creative with one of the t-shirt designs and came up with an image of a crypto rabbit falling down a hole. Swirling into the hole with the rabbit are playing cards showing some of the coins, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Monero, as well as a Dow card ripped in half. There's a Guy Fox mask, a DeFi cake, a Lambo, and a teapot that says HODL, as well as teacups showing the Reddit and Twitter logos. There's even a shitcoin. The rabbit is wearing a big Bitcoin key on a keychain, a unicorn and rainbow t-shirt, and, of course, is listening to Unchained. We've now got rabbit versions of the mug and some decals. Check it out at shop.unchainedpodcast.com. Again, that's shop.unchainedpodcast.com. For those of you interested in giving an Unchained t-shirt, hat, mug, or sticker as a Christmas gift, order by December 13th, which is the day this podcast comes out. eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world, with over $1 trillion in trading volume on the platform per year. U.S. customers can trade the most popular crypto assets with transparent fees. Create an account today at eToro.com. That's E-T-O-R-O dot com. CypherTrace cutting-edge cryptocurrency intelligence powers anti-money laundering, blockchain analytics, and threat intel. Leading exchanges, virtual currency businesses, banks, and regulators themselves use CypherTrace to comply with regulation and to monitor compliance. Got any EOS? With Crypto.com, you can top up their card with EOS to spend. You can also earn up to 8% on EOS per year on their app. Today's guest is Larry Cermak, Head of Research at The Block. Welcome, Larry. Hey, it's good to be here, Laura. Since we're closing in on the end of the year, what's your high-level overview of what's going on at a macro level in the crypto markets? Sure. Um, so... Like you already said, I'm, I'm the head of research at The Block, and so uh, we're you know mainly a research company, and we just released our November report. Uh, so um, right now, what we're seeing is that the markets are actually uh, not that active. Um, the, the trading volumes, which I think is one of the best indicators of the overall interest um, in crypto, are uh, really low. Um, so right now, they're 12% lower than last month. Uh, the Daily average traded volume is about 1.4 billion. Last month it was 1.6, and if we look all the way back to June, it was you know close to 3.5 billion. So more than twice lower right now. So the interest in the crypto market is is really low uh, currently, and you know that's that's reflecting on 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 the traded volumes and that's reflecting on the overall sentiment. So. You know, like one really good thing to look at uh, for trading volume is, you know, overall, it, it hasn't been a really reliable indicator because there's just so much fake volume. 
But since Bitwise came out with their report and you know they identified the exchanges that don't fake as much volume, we can get a really good approximation of what's actually going on in the market. And like I already mentioned, um, it, it's currently not doing so well. Um, and that's that's mostly for spot exchanges. But if we look at uh, you know uh, derivative exchanges, if we look at Bitmax volumes, we look at GBTC traded volumes. All of their all of these volumes are currently at uh, eight month lows. So uh, yeah, the market is is not doing that well right now. Uh, but as we both know, that can turn it out really quickly. Uh, so you know even though the trend is 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 not super favorable right now. In crypto, that doesn't mean much. You know, next month it can shoot up again and everything's going to be fine. And one of the aspects that you mentioned is the Bitcoin derivative data. So that is self-reported. Um, so, right. you know, I'm wondering, you know, what is it that is important about this data, you know, and what can you glean when you look at that as opposed to the spot market? Is there anything different that you're noticing and how much can we trust that data? Sure. So, so it depends what kind of derivative uh, data are you looking at, right? So, so there are multiple derivative markets right now, and I think 2019 has been a really, really good year for the maturing of the financial infrastructure in crypto, especially for Bitcoin. Uh, so, there are currently multiple different derivative markets. One is the regulated one. So, you have futures uh, on the CME and backed, backed launching fairly recently, and it's already getting. Uh, you know, it's growing fairly well recently. It's currently at about 5% of the CME's volumes. Uh, so so that's regulated. You can trust that uh, 100% because that's those are regulated futures. Uh, then you have the unregulated markets. So, you know, the main player is, is BitMEX. Uh, those are self-reported, but BitMEX has historically been reliable with reporting the the volume. Um, you know, there are multiple things that you can do to cross-check that. So, for example, for spot exchanges, what we do at the block is that we look at the reported trading volume and compare that to the website visits. So, you know, you get a, an estimation of how many people actually go on the site. Uh, and then you compare that to the amount of reported trading volume and, and you get a ratio. Uh, and if the ratio is, is too high compared to other exchanges, it, it likely means that the self-reported numbers are not correct. But uh, for BitMEX, that is not the case. BitMEX has been historically reliable. Um, and then you have um, then you have options. So uh, the biggest player is, is Deribit. Um, and those have also been historically reliable. So, you know, uh, quite on the contrary, actually, the spot exchanges are the ones that are the least reliable. So you really have to be careful there. You know, 80% of all the volume, maybe even more that you see on, on CoinMarketCap is fake. So you really need to just stick to the exchanges that have been reliable. Most of them are regulated in the U.S. Um, well, another thing that I saw in your report was that you noted that hedge funds are seemingly crowding into a short position right now. Why do you think that's happening and what could that signify? Um, so, you know, that... It's really hard to say what what could that signify, but I guess you know the, the obvious position right now is like I already mentioned, markets are not doing that well, and and what that means in crypto is that when volatility is really low, and you know the prices haven't been moving drastically, it means that people are anticipating that 
you know, the markets are just not going to recover. Like it, you can identify the cycles in crypto, you know, like the one we saw in 2017 and the one that we saw that we see right now in 2019, you can identify them through the volumes. And when the volumes are dropping, you know, for a lot of hedge funds and for a lot of funds overall, that, that, that means that sends them a signal that we're entering into, you know, another downturn. And as we both know, that sometimes takes years and, you know, the, the market basically peaked in June and ever since then it's been going down and it's, it's hard to tell when it's going to recover. So if I were to guess, these hedge funds are probably thinking, you know, we're in another, in another down cycle and this could take another, you know, multiple months. So that's probably why they're, they're in, uh, in short positions. But again, it's, it's very hard to speculate on that. And um, you mentioned that, you know, especially the infrastructure for Bitcoin in particular has grown quite a bit this year. And I'm yep. curious to know what you have been seeing in terms of just like the basic liquidity. Like, is it that mm-hmm. the infrastructure is there, but still there hasn't been a lot of interest or? Yeah. So so the infrastructure this year has really improved drastically and especially especially in the in the regulated markets. Uh, so the CME and, and BACT are now, you know, going head to head. BACT has been gaining a lot of, lot more interest lately. Um, and then you, you know, you also start having, uh, BACT and CME also announced that they're going to launch options, uh, fairly soon. So you start having these regulated markets on top of the unregulated ones that we had before. And the reason why that's happening with Bitcoin and not other cryptocurrencies, you know, like Ethereum is that there's just the most regulatory clarity. Um, and Bitcoin is, you know, by far the most liquid cryptocurrency. I, I did some research um, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, at that point, Bitcoin was four times more liquid than Ethereum. And I think about seven or eight times more than, than XRP. And then there's a big gap after that. Uh, so, you know, it's the most liquid by far. And it's also, from my experience, at least, institutional players that started joining this year, uh, it's really the first year when, when the large players are starting to join, they're trading Bitcoin, they're not trading anything else. Uh, so so the liquidity has been there uh, in in May, June and July. Now it's it's a little bit, it's a little bit uh, lower again. But the infrastructure is getting better, and what that means is that when there is another, you know, another uh, market cycle, uh, the infrastructure will be, you know, better at that point. It'll be ready, and that will help the market overall. This year, we have seen a lot of maturing on that part. We're going to talk a little bit more about the differences amongst the exchanges, but first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Got any EOS? Crypto.com is adding more utility to it. You can top up their card with EOS and spend anywhere Visa is accepted. Not only can you spend your crypto, but you can grow it too. Earn up to 8% on EOS per year on their app. Crypto.com has recently launched its exchange and crypto fundraising platform, The Syndicate. There is a 50% off EOS sale on the new exchange starting next Tuesday, December 17th, 6am UTC for 24 hours only. Sign up now. Will the world follow France and advocate banning privacy coins? Will government-backed stablecoins become the new fiat? Are distributed and peer-to-peer exchanges just a flash in the pan? The answer is maybe. Virtual currencies can flourish and create a new, private, and more versatile economy. But that grand vision can't happen without keeping crypto clean. And that requires support of governments and accountability for bad actors. 
privacy-enhanced compliance using cryptographic controls has the potential to preserve anonymity without compromising legitimate investigations. CypherTrace is working on this vision of the future. Sign up to stay up to date on the privacy-enhanced compliance initiative and receive authoritative crypto AML reports quarterly. www.cyphertrace.com slash keep crypto clean. Back to my conversation with Larry Cermak of The Block. So when we're talking about the liquidity of the Bitcoin pairs, what are you seeing in terms of the difference, you know, amongst individual exchanges? And um, your report also breaks it down uh, in terms of the depth at 1% versus 10%. And I'm curious also to know what those differences are between exchanges and what those differences mean. Sure. Um, so, you know, I already kind of mentioned this, but but traded volume is, is not a very reliable metric. Uh, that's for multiple reasons. One is that a lot of exchanges are faking. Second one is that you have market makers that you know, depend on, on each exchange. But it's not the most reliable metric for traders because, you know, if there's more traded volume, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's more liquidity. And liquidity is more important for traders because, you know, they want to have the most liquid markets. They want to have the less the least slippage possible. Uh, so liquidity is really important. And, and what we're seeing there is that, you know, Bitfinex overall, which doesn't have the most volume, not even close. It's probably the sixth or seventh exchange uh, by volume, but has the most liquidity on on its, you know, the, the Bitcoin pairs, the Ethereum pairs, and XRP pairs. Bitfinex really stands out. Uh, you mentioned one and ten percent uh, order book depth difference. Uh, so what that means is that you look at a certain section of the order book. So. With 1%, you only look at a, at a small section, you only look at 1% of the order book and, and the bits uh, there. And on, on the 10%, you look at a larger size. Uh, usually in my, in my experience, 10% seems to be a little more, uh, a little more reliable for comparing all these larger exchanges, uh, because 1% sometimes it's thrown off by all the market makers. So if you look at 10%, it, it seems to be, from at least from my experience, more reliable, get an understanding of which exchanges have the most liquidity. And like I already mentioned, Bitfinex seems to be the, the most liquid. Uh, you know, even though its reputation hasn't been that great lately, uh, it still has the most liquidity and it's still the go to for the largest traders, mainly because of the liquidity and their trading tools uh, and their tra- trading algorithm. It's, it's real advanced. Uh, and then you have the other exchanges. So so Coinbase is, I think, trailing Kraken, Bitstamp and uh, and Binance as well. Uh, but all the other exchanges are usually fairly, fairly far away from these. And you also talk about how some of these have more retail adoption and institutional adoption. And I also just wanted to link that to the depth issue, because I don't know if I fully understand what it means to have, you know, greater liquidity at 10% versus 1%. So when you see that Bitfinex does have that, uh, even compared to the 1% metric, is that sort of saying that maybe there's like, a bigger diversity of traders or is it saying that there's bigger traders like more whales or what does that mean? It just means that there is more orders combined uh, on that, on that order book. So if it's on 10%, it just means that there's just overall more trades that can be exec- executed. Uh, so for, for Bitfinex, 
there's just the you know the most traders with the most money on the line. Uh, so if you want to go to an exchange and have little slippage, which means that the price you know that you want to sell or buy doesn't change much if if you're selling a lot, then you go to those exchanges because they they have the most to sell or to buy. Uh, so really, the simplest explanation is just it just has the most traders with the most money on the line in these order books. And as you know, I just mentioned, some of the exchanges have more retail adoption versus institutional adoption. Which ones are attracting which markets? Sure. So, so Bitfinex historically has attracted the largest traders, uh, but I, you know, in my experience, that's mostly mostly whales and not you know like really large funds. But it could be as well. Bitmex has also historically been mostly focused on really large traders uh, as opposed to retail ones. And the other side of the spectrum, you have Binance is the, by far the most retail-based uh, exchange. Uh, so you can also see that, I already mentioned this briefly, but if you look at the ratio between the traded volume and the number of website visits, uh, Binance is scoring really low on these and, and Coinbase is trailing. So Coinbase and Binance seem to be by far the most retail-based exchanges. Uh, but then you have some... Exchanges like LMAX, for example, which is really unknown by almost anyone in the crypto space, and they're fully institutionally based spot exchange. And uh, currently, they're almost at the Coinbase level in terms of traded volume. Uh, they just surpassed Bit Bitstamp and Kraken. So they're a really good example of a purely institutional based, uh, not even really accepting any retail customers. Hmm. And do you feel like any of these exchanges will have a tougher time in terms of their business model, you know, based on whether or not they're attracting the yeah, institutional so versus. I think that's a good, that's a really good question. And I think one uh, in, interesting thing about this year, as opposed to 2017 and early 2018, but that bull run back then is that before it was very retail based. Uh, so you had hundreds of thousands of really small retail investors you know, putting their money into Bitcoin, Ethereum, ICOs, all of that. It's a really, really large amount of small traders. As opposed to this year, uh, you know, all the data that I've looked at this year indicates that there isn't any new retail coming in. Or if there is, it's it's very small, small amounts of retail customers. This year has been really largely driven by large traders, uh, whether that be, you know, uh, Bitcoin whales from, you know, uh, that have been holding Bitcoin for years, or institutional traders, hedge funds, these, uh, you know, they're getting more, more important this year, uh, as opposed to retail. So Binance hasn't, you know, this, this hasn't been a good year for Binance, because there just isn't that much retail customers. They, they've done well when they did the IEOs, but that's also been dying recently. Uh, and their interest is decreasing. But the exchanges that have been doing well are the institutional base. So, so LMAX has done really well. And yeah, so, so the market has, has changed a lot, but I, I don't think that, you know, that that's an indication of what will happen in the, what will happen in, in the future. That could just mean that, you know, a lot of the retail investors that invested in Bitcoin 2017, 18, they, they just got burned. Uh, they lost some money and they're discouraged from investing again. Uh, and, you know, if we ever surpass the the price that, you know, was reached in 2017 or 18, 
that could mean that these people jump back in. So it's really hard to say which platform is better right, better positioned right now. Uh, but there are clearly differences between these exchanges. One other thing that your report talked about was how there are actually other exchanges aside from the ones that Bitwise noted as having real volume that you also believe have real volume. Uh, I think you named 11. We don't have to go into all 11, but are there any particular ones that you want to talk about? And also, if you could talk about how you determine that they also have real volume, that would be great. Sure. So I would have to pull up the list. Uh, so mainly these exchanges are the smaller ones and the ones that both you and I wouldn't really hear about if we you know, didn't do this analysis. And that's because most of them are based, most of them are focused on one particular market. So the exchanges that we talked about already, you know, Bitfinex, Coinbase, uh, Bitstamp, uh, Kraken, you know, even though they're based in the U.S., they, they serve different markets. Most of them are open to, you know, trade for almost anyone in the world, you know, Europe, uh, even Asia. But the exchanges that don't get in, included in the Bitwise 10 are the ones that are focused on specific markets. So you have some exchanges in South Korea that are only focused on the South Korean market. Uh, and they, they do have a bunch of real volume. You have exchanges in, in Japan that have a lot of real volume. You have exchanges in Indonesia that have a ton of real volume, uh, but they usually don't get included because they're just so market specific. So, and, and the way I determined this, and you know, it, it's not an exact science, but yeah, by using the, the number of, of website visits, we used uh, similar web as kind of the proxy of how much traffic each site gets. And so what you do is that you go, you know, you record the number of visits that each site gets and then divide it and do the ratio between that and then the traded volume. And so if the ratio is really low, that means that the volume is likely real. Uh, but then you get exchanges like, for example, like Huobi or OKX, where the ratio is really high. And what that means is that they likely are uh, faking a lot of volume. It seems like, you know, at least like 40 to 50 percent of, of the volume there just cannot be real because the ratio is just too high. Um, yeah, the so, graphs on on that are like pretty um, striking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, yeah, it's very obvious that those uh, that volume is a clear outlier from every from all yeah. the other exchanges. And, and so, some examples. I, I know you mentioned. I pulled it up just so we have some examples for the listeners. But Indodax is one. Luno, which is mainly based in Africa. CX, Zafe, Japanese exchanges. Yobit, uh, Gopax, Exmo, Corbit. So they're very unknown exchanges for you know the, the regular people, uh, but they're fairly widely known in the countries where they operate. Uh, and one more exchange that I would like to add, Binance US also seems to have real volume, and it, it's not included in Bitwise 10 because it didn't exist back then. But it's not getting much traction so far. So almost all of these, um, you know, in terms of volume, they're not getting a big piece of the pie, but they do have a lot of real volume. Okay. Yeah. And I'll make a plug for Indonesia. I used to live there and it's the fourth, fourth most populous country in the world. So I yes, know, um, I could imagine. <laughs> oh, right, right. Yeah, you were just there. Forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, I was that. in Bali uh, two weeks ago. <laughs> yes. Very magical place. Highly recommend to everybody. Absolutely loved living there. Um, anyway, so we're coming up on time, but just the last quick question is one other thing is you looked at the value settled on Bitcoin to kind of see, you know, the utility of it. And what did you find there? So 
the value saddle of Bitcoin, I think, is a, is a really, really good metric. Uh, and that's because it, it kind of shows you, uh, you know, how much actual how much actual value gets actually settled on the Bitcoin blockchain. And, and that's relevant because, you know, it's, it just it's real transaction on the blockchain that cannot be faked in any way. So what I did is that we look at uh the value settled adjusted to all the externalities. So for example, you know, if you have some repeated transaction that gets canceled out uh, and we find that, you know, Bitcoin gets by far the most value settled on it. Um, and when you look at, you know, so, so we looked at multiple different cryptocurrencies. One was, uh, you know, Bitcoin and obviously Ethereum, XRP, Bitcoin Cash, uh, and a Litecoin. Um, and when you look at the ratio, Bitcoin gets by far the most. And, you know, when you look at Bitcoin in relation to Ethereum, Ethereum is actually falling in, you know, in, in the ratio. So that means that there's less settled on Ethereum uh, when compared to Bitcoin. Um, and then I also look at that what when compared to the gold market and how much is sold in, in gold OTC markets. And it turns out that there's, you know, on Bitcoin, there's uh, probably going to be more than $900 billion settled in 2019. In gold, uh, I think it's about 400 to $500 billion. So it's a little bit less or, you know, not a little bit, but almost twice as less. So you know, the value that is settled is, is real on Bitcoin. Uh, there's one caveat, though, which is that a lot of this, is very closely correlated to trading volume as well. So, you know, that kind of supports the the thing that everyone is saying is that Bitcoin is mostly used for speculation. And that, in my experience, is still true. I think, you know, the, the latest estimates are that about 90% of all the Bitcoin transactions are used for uh, sending, you know, money, sending Bitcoin from wallets to exchanges and there and back. So that's still about 90%. And it's really good that you can see how closely the, the exchange volume correlates with the value settled on, on, on Bitcoin. Uh, so what that tells you is that, you know, when the, when the value is high on exchanges, the, the value settled also is a lot higher on the blockchain. Uh, and, you know, that's not, not necessarily a bad thing. People often say, you know, Bitcoin is only used for, for trading. That's bad. I don't think it's necessarily bad. It, it, it's a use case and, you know, Bitcoin is traded 24-7. It's a really good instrument for traders. Uh, so I don't think that's necessarily bad. And I think, you know, if, if we continue going down this path, that will likely change in the future. But yeah, so far, it's, it seems to be mostly used for speculation. All right. Well, that was really fascinating about how 90% of it is going to exchanges, yeah. but it does make sense. Well, we will see if any of this changes in 2020. Thanks so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Yeah, you, you're welcome. I'm really glad to be here. I've been a listener since 2017, so it's really good to be on. <laughs> Don't forget, next up is the news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Are you interested in getting into the cryptocurrency markets but don't know where to start building your portfolio? eToro has the answer for you. It's called Copy Trader by eToro. 
With CopyTrader, you can automatically copy every trade of eToro's top crypto traders at the exact price in real time. No need to study up on markets or develop your own strategies. Simply sign up and copy the trader of your choice. Any profits they make, you do too, proportional to your investment. With eToro, you get access to the world's most popular cryptocurrencies with transparent trading fees, all in one easy-to-use app. Copy the smart money with eToro. Join now at eToro.com. That's E-T-O-R-O dot com. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. If you missed this week's Unchained with Yunmi Park, it was, I believe, the best interview I've ever done on the show. Based on the responses on Twitter, I think a lot of other people felt the same way. While on the surface, it doesn't seem to have a lot to do with cryptocurrencies, it most definitely illustrates why crypto people so often speak of the ideals of decentralization and censorship resistance. Chris Giancarlo said, wow, what an episode. Jake Chervinsky tweeted, this might be the most important crypto podcast of 2019, even though crypto is barely discussed. Alex Vandesan said, this is such an important interview. And someone with the handle Alex Boogie wrote, jaw dropped and without words after listening to this. Now on to this week's headlines. MakerDAO flaw allows attacker to turn $20 million into $340 million in 15 seconds. Micah Zoltu of CoinMonks wrote a how-to that begins, quote, Anyone with about 40,000 MKR, which is about 20,000 USD, can steal all of the collateral in MakerDAO, both DAI and SAI, along with a good chunk of assets from Compound, Uniswap, and other Maker-integrated systems, over $340 million USD. The MakerDAO Foundation moved up a plan to address this vulnerability after the publication of this blog post. Next headline, Understanding Bitcoin Bubbles, Looking at Last On-Chain Movement. So I actually missed this post last week, but Coinmetrics came up with a fascinating look at what they're calling cost bases, but defining as the last time a coin moved on chain. It serves as a decent proxy of understanding how Bitcoin bubbles work, and it shows when the cycle might hit its peaks and lows and also when investors capitulate. You should just check it out to see all the different graphs. It's much more easy to understand if you're looking at at those. Um, it's a pretty involved analysis, but if you were interested in the discussion with Larry, you will definitely enjoy it. Next headline, Telegram advisor in UK sought by SEC. Coindesk reported that the SEC, in its effort to stop the launch of Telegram's crypto network, TUN, has asked the High Court of England and Wales for testimony and documents from John Hyman, Telegram's former chief investment advisor. A filing by the SEC with the U.S. District Court of the Southern District of New York last Friday revealed some of Telegram's fundraising strategy during its $1.7 billion token presale. The documents quote Hyman as saying in one email that Telegram, quote, decided for regulatory reasons that we will never do any form of direct public offering. The public will be able to buy grams once network is working, not from Telegram directly. Also, even though ton investors were prohibited from reselling their allocations, there was an active secondary market and Hyman regularly asked about it. In one email he wrote, Hi Stan, have you seen any green market gram activity? If so, at what prices? Also, Someone named Jared Leto makes an appearance in the story. Uh, you should just read it to find out how. Next headline, ZK Sync. Decentralized, high throughput, censorship resistant, privacy preserving with instant finality? Question mark. 
Matter Labs generated some buzz with a post about ZK Sync, which it has been working on for the past year, following a grant from the Ethereum Foundation. They claim that they can provide subsecond confirmation on the main chain, not on layer two, and that with such technology, online stores shipping physical goods could, for instance, confirm purchase to a user and also get full confirmation of payment before having to ship the item. They also claim that it is censorship resistant and denial of service resistant. Eric Wall of Arcane Crypto said, quote, This construct here is phenomenal. From what I can tell, it is what sidechains were supposed to be, but better. Off-chain, trust-minimized, scalable, final. We will keep tabs on this to see where it goes. Next headline, BitClub is alleged to be a $722 million Ponzi scheme. It sounds like a mining pool, but federal prosecutors are calling it a Ponzi scheme. They claim that BitClub BitClub invited investors to send cash, which the company would then use to buy Bitcoin mining equipment, and proceeds from that would be split among the investors. Customers could also receive rewards for recruiting new people. Wired reports, quote, Internal messages between the conspirators give the impression of growing glee at the ease of taking advantage of investors, referring to building this whole model on the backs of idiots. The men allegedly described their victims as dumb investors and sheep. Matthew Brent Gotcha, I'm not sure how to pronounce this name, Jobadiah Sinclair Weeks and Silvio Catalan Balacci are accused of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, which can carry a sentence of up to 20 years, and conspiracy to offer and sell unregistered securities, which allows for five. A fourth defendant, Joseph Frank Abel, faces only the securities charge. Next headline, Ledger X co-founders put on leave. Bitcoin derivatives firm Ledger X has placed CEO Paul Chow and President and Chief Risk Officer Juthika Chow on leave. Larry E. Thompson, former vice chair of the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, or DTCC, will act as interim CEO. Last summer, the company announced the launch of physically settled Bitcoin futures, but did not have proper licensing from the Commodities Futures Trading Commission. In September, Paul Chow then sent out a series of tweets such as, Quote, if we find out that there is something behind this close to one year delay of a trivial issue that is anything but a sense of uncomfortable, uncomfortableness with a tweet, as opposed to a substantive deficiency in the legal standard of what we applied for, then we will hold the CFTC responsible. Next headline, China likely to launch DCEP pilot in Shenzhen and Suzhou soon. Chinese financial news publication Kaijing reported that China will launch its digital yuan in Shenzhen and Suzhou, most likely in a pilot at the end of 2019, as well as a larger pilot in 2020. It will also reportedly have, DCP will also reportedly have a transaction per second speed of 220,000, as opposed to 40,000 for PayPal and 1,000 for Libra. Fun bits. Square and Square Crypto have a cypherpunk week. Wednesday morning, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey tweeted that the company is funding open source work on a decentralized standard for social media, saying, quote, the goal is for Twitter to ultimately ultimately be a client of this standard. I'm definitely curious to see where this goes and also to see if this somehow uses a blockchain element for identity or timestamping. A few hours later, Square Crypto, which is basically the Bitcoin equivalent of Jack's social media goal announced that 
<laughs> would receive a grant. And if you don't know um, why I just made a series of weird noises, it's because this anonymous developer goes by the handle capital Z, lowercase m, lowercase n, capital S, capital C, capital P, lowercase x, lowercase j. So, quote, has been a part-time contributor to Lightning and Sea Lightning for two years. With this grant, he'll be able to leave behind his day job of 14 years and go full-time on Lightning and Bitcoin. This is the first financial support he's received for his Bitcoin work. So, uh, as Square Crypto says, quote, we don't actually know where lives, apart from somewhere in the GMT plus eight time zone, which includes China, Brunei, Hong Kong, Macau, Taiwan, the Philippines, Malaysia, and Singapore. That's it. That's all he told us. And that's all we know. And that's it for this week's news. To learn more about Larry and the block, as well as to read the stories from this week's news recap, be sure to check the links in the show notes of your podcast player. And if you're looking for a fun holiday gift, a crypto themed holiday gift, or if you just really love Unchained and Unconfirmed, go check out our new merchandise shop at shop.unchainedpodcast.com. Go check it out right now, in fact. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Factor Recording, Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Josh Durham, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.